Hi and uh, welcome to another episode of Dumb Dive. It's been a while again, but you know we're back. And I'm Pranav. I'm joined by Arvind. And for the first time um, on this podcast, we have a guest with us. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi everyone. I'm Aparna. Uh, I am a friend of both Pranav and Arvind, which is pretty much the reason why I'm here today. So. Yeah, yeah, excited to see where this goes. I mean, nepotism rules the world, doesn't it? <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think I'll just start off with like a bit of recent whatever life development that's been happening. Um, so, dissertation period is kind of over now. Um, I'm pretty much done. Yay. I'm pretty much done, thankfully. Um, very stressful and uh, it wasn't it, it was made a lot more stressful by the fact that my um, contract for my student accommodation ended on um, the 3rd of September while my deadline was on the 8th so in the span of five days I had to not even five days um, so from 25th August to like the 1st of September we were just scouting houses trying to find any livable space um you know whether it be just a single person room or like a house that we can kind of rent as a group and it was just an absolute nightmare like oh god um so wait so you guys didn't start looking until then or you'd already found the place before we so we'd found a place on like the 20th or something and we'd kind of like verbally told the realtors hey we're you know, we're interested in this property. Um, but like, we need one more person to kind of, you know, give us confirmation. And so, you know, we'll get back to you after the weekend. Because we'd scope uh-huh. that house out on a Friday. And then we went on Monday to like pay our deposit and like, you know, get the contract and everything. Um, and then the realtor said, oh, sorry, that house has been taken. So we were left quite literally holding, you know, like holding nothing. Right. And we're like, oh, oh God. God, are we going to be homeless? Are we <laughs> what are we going to do? We have a dissertation to write as well. <laughs> and uh, oh, so so we finally found uh, the realtors were like, OK, there is one last option and you guys need to like snap it up very quickly. So within the next day or two, please, please tell us right away if you're in or not. Yeah. Um, and they showed us, you know, a house that was kind of undergoing an entire top to bottom renovation like everything was getting rebuilt and um, we're like yeah you know this is the only option we have we kind of have to take it um, oh. and, then, and then we were like talking to the realtors hey can you like get this done by the 1st of September um, because our contract ends on the 3rd and we'd really like to move in and like get started on our dissertation work as soon as possible And, you know, all credit to the contractors and, like, the realtors, you know, like, they did what they could. And they they really did try to make the house as livable as possible within, like, five to ten days. Like, a week span is what we kind of, like, forced them to get the house ready in. That's amazing. That's actually, that's really impressive that Uh, they managed to get that stuff done. When you say top-to-bottom renovation, what was the actual condition? Like, uh, was it just, like, paint... And minor work, or was it like they all the tiles it was up literally are, are removed and there everything oh. tiles were redone, uh, the bathrooms were rebuilt, um, kitchen was redone, all the furnishings, all the appliances were refitted, everything you know, like 
full I renovation. Guess, I guess on the bright side, you guys got a brand new apartment. So. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly... That's awesome. Yeah, it's looking pretty good now. We have like a few minor things left, like the... Nice. The, the leads for the chimneys, like the extractors on top of our stoves need to like... That needs to get plugged in. Um, we need to like get the Wi-Fi and like the internet a bit more optimized in how it's spread throughout the house. But other than like those few things, it's pretty much done, and it, it it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Not gonna lie. <laughs> nice. Yeah, like the work's been done well. But like for um for those for those few days where work was constantly happening in the house while you know we had to sleep here because our contract had ended, like between the third to like the fifth and sixth, it was just stressful. Because oh. we were all managing, you know, working on our dissertation while also supervising the work being done, kind of helping out where we could, you know, and like nothing was ready. So we couldn't cook. We had to eat outside the entire time and just oh, absolutely drained my bank account. Uh, yeah. Just well, not... I'm glad it's over. Yeah. So yeah. congrats add, on your yeah, new place. And add this to another chapter of adventures in Birmingham because... I, it's, oh it's god just yeah <laughs> constantly been escalating every episode that you come back it's just one after another uh but anyway now that we have a new person on the podcast let's uh have a part of just like you know introduce yourself what do you do or at least whatever extent you want to go through what are you interested in and tell us about you um yeah um so I currently work in education. I do development consulting, basically, where I work um, in an organization that works with um, partner governments in developing countries to try and help them improve their like system administration um, specific to like education, you know, in some cases also like early childhood stuff, which includes nutrition and like early childhood health care uh, and things like that. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I'm very interested in um, anything that speaks to human behavior, um, which is often actually the topic of conversation that happens when the three of us get together as well, (laughs) which is another reason why. I guess it's not fully nepotism that rules the world in this case, I guess. Like we can say we have a common interest. Esteemed scientist and educator along with us here today. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit much. Uh, amateur, <laughs> amateur with everything. Like, please caveat. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I mean, honestly, this sounds like this sounds like the beginning to like an elaborate, you know, joke. Like, um, an educator, a philosopher, and a prototype engineer walk into a bar. Why am I a prototype? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that like isn't that your literal like job title it is but it's just like when you say prototype engineer it sounds like I'm like attempt number three at making an engineer you know what I mean that's true yeah like he is the prototype (laughs) (laughs) oh you're the base concept man what so yeah I mean (laughs) what is that a reference to I don't know, man. Okay. Like, uh, uh, okay, you have to, you have to excuse me a little bit. I'm slightly unhinged because I'm running on almost zero sleep, thanks to and a lot of Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, the Red Bull. Um, I'm running on almost zero sleep because of dissertation and just 
social life because a bunch of us have basically we've kind of all finished our dissertations around the same period so it's kind of party city right now and mm. um, yeah i actually kind of have a an interesting i don't know um not a story but like something that i was remembering when you're talking about your dissertation i mean congrats on finishing it first <laughs> thank off. you thank I'm you so, i'm glad for you i hope you can get some rest in your new apartment with your completed dis- dissertation yes <laughs> um, i had <laughs> um i had a friend um in college who had this um so he was really struggling to actually kind of like wrap up his thesis mm-hmm. mostly because i think it was a procrastination issue i mean it was definitely a procrastination <laughs> issue um So, but he had this weird i think coping mechanism or like reaction i guess so every time uh his professor would email him being like hey where's your like like next draft of your thesis and he didn't have anything to show her he would just he would like stress clean the apartment like like if you walked into the apartment and you noticed the bathroom was like spotless and there was like bread you know baking in the oven you knew that like his professor had emailed him oh my god um Yeah 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 and the trash would have been taken out the bed would have been made like it like it just looked like immaculate and that means you know he didn't have anything to show for that week or for that like couple of weeks or whatever isn't this, um i don't know it just like kind isn't of this is a fairly uh, common uh, sort of reaction to having a lot of things to do though because i feel like uh, you know people who uh, you say you have a ton of things to do start building out a to-do list and then go make yourself a really nice elaborate cup of coffee and then you come back you clean your desk and by the time you know what's up like half the day is already gone i feel like that's a f- i've seen that type of behavior fairly often and yeah it's quite fascinating but i'll let you finish your thought yeah yeah no 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 that's exactly actually the the point as well and i guess that's a question i've just been thinking about a lot lately last couple of weeks at least mm-hmm. which is like why do we i guess procrastinate um by doing kind of well not i wouldn't say useless things but like you know keeping the the like the short term objective in mind like kind of useless things like ba- like baking bread and cleaning your bathroom isn't really well i'd say um, like i'd say the cleaning aspect is maybe just like a thing of um organization like you want to get mm. you know like it's it's a, it's a symbolic thing of you know trying to get your thoughts in order trying to get everything in like place to certain work Mm. Um sadly okay. sadly I don't have that impulse I'm usually always just an absolute mess. But Do you have another coping mechanism? I'm curious. Um my coping mechanism is just unhinged unhinged text messages and like rants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a different type <laughs> of useless. Po- <laughs> it's just shit posting on the group chat. <laughs> right, right. I think in the the productive shit posting that's going on that we're talking about. I think it's a to do with the fact that like uh the main task that you have ahead of you might be really daunting to deal with and mm. you might just be like why don't i get these other things that seem uh to use less brain power and i need to do them anyway out of the way first so i can really focus in on this even if it doesn't really affect you it's just that that notion of like i'm first going to do all these other things that seem easier uh than the super the mm. super challenging problem whether it's writing a thesis or whatever other uh thing that's right in front of you that you need to do that's yeah. interesting 
Yeah, sorry, Pranav, go for it. Oh, um, I was just thinking, like, yeah, I think it's it's kind of comfort and organization. Like you said about baking, like like the guy you knew, he he, you know, bake bread and yeah, like, yeah, clean yeah. up and everything, right? Like, it, I think it's also about just kind of managing how stressed you feel by doing things that you know will bring you some form of comfort, either immediately or in like a really short while, like maybe a couple of hours for bre- for bread to bake, but. Um, mm-hmm. it's about like getting your thoughts organized getting you know some form of symbolic representation of everything getting in its place then finding comfort and then you know getting into that mindset of okay now that everything's done now that i've kind of you know put myself at ease i've cleaned up around me i've done all these small tasks now i can sit and really tackle like the big you know thing ahead of me like i now have the mind space to focus fully right. on this like big thing yeah yeah right that's that's like that's interesting cuz actually as you guys were speaking i was thinking to and i was like so i don't like i will clean maybe once in like 3 4 weeks but like it has to reach a point where i'm like okay at this point i actually need to clean it but i also know and so which which is which like um i guess what's interesting to me is at least like when i'm stressed i will do all of these things like i will do the cleaning and i will like reorganize my closet and i will reorganize my room all of this stuff but on an average day when i'm asked to do the same tasks like i will procrastinate doing those tasks like the cleaning and the reorganizing <laughs> yeah. right well, so it's like the context is so and the context really does matter um and i'm just like i don't know i i don't i don't i guess i don't really have a point but i'm like curious to know if we have any idea of like why that context can matter and yeah i guess just hmm. exploring that line of thought i don't know i feel like um i think i think it's it's the same thing there where i mean if you're asked to do like the cleaning and so on it becomes an obligation like a certain high expectancy kind of like like something is expected of you in return and mm. you you don't want to put yourself through that effort so you're like you know what i'll push this off as long as i can until i actually need to do it and you know again you busy yourself with other forms of organization or something else that kind of gives you comfort or leisure or you know just gets you into the mind space of okay i now finally have to do this thing you know Mm, interesting. Arvind thought I I I still feel like the idea that uh, Pranav had earlier where it was like it's it's something that that you're hoping will give you a bit of uh, comfort at a moment where you're you're stressed. I I feel like that's the most compelling of the options that we brought up so far. Uh I I don't know if it's really because like if not yeah. then on a day where you have nothing much to do you should want to get those other things done uh but exactly yeah. but you don't oh, maybe yeah. actually not saying that saying that <laughs> what if it's the fact that when there is a lot to do uh and you kind of don't want to do it you it's like a priority yeah, no, thing you don't want to do n- nothing because that will seem like you're wasting a perfectly good day where you're supposed to be working oh. you still want to make like cheat yourself into feel like you've been productive in some way feeling like you're productive right yeah 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 i yeah. think that also just it, it fits into the entire coping part of the coping mechanism you know <laughs> yeah 
I actually looked this up a couple of uh, weeks ago, like just to see what came up. And I think one of the um, first things that showed up was a conversation around like how procrastination is a symptom of like burnout and low self-esteem and things like that, um, which I guess tracks, right? Like with whatever you're saying right now, because yeah. if you want to feel productive, like right. that's because you're not feeling that great about yourself right now. And yeah, like it's a way to boost your self-esteem, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'd argue yeah. that I procrastinate not because of self-esteem, but just because I'm lazy. <laughs> but is... if you dig deep uh, and you psychoanalyze yourself, oh god, eventually. <laughs> oh, I mean, god. don't don't do it. No, but, you no. know, I I would not subject the mess that I am to anyone, not even myself. <laughs> not even yourself. <laughs> Definitely not consciously. Oh no no no! <laughs> Definitely not. That's for the dreams. Uh, that's for that's for the dreams to explore, not me. Is this is this But, a reference you know, to the Sandman show? That oh right, there's a Sandman show. I completely forgot. Um, okay. Oh my god. Because the number of times I've oh, heard the word ek, ek, dream in that show. has just got me to think that everyone who's mentioned it in the last couple of weeks has been talking about the TV show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so this there's a there's a TV series on net it's it's on Netflix, yes. right? Yeah, so there's a series that adapts um, Neil Gaiman's uh The Sandman. <gasps> oh my god, amazing. Okay. Yeah. So it's about so the, context, the god yeah. of dreams uh who's Ooh. Yeah, lost his like who has had his powers stolen by a human, and uh, he's trying to rebuild a lot of the things that he has lost through that. It's a very very. What is power. that power? Uh, it's like what power would a god of dreams have? It's Sorry, basically continue. allowing people to dream, and uh, like a lot of the things that they show in the show. Actually, it's a it's a good a good place to get into because I think even with the context of our podcast, it's quite interesting because. uh i guess a little bit of spoiler alert but uh so there's a lot of things in the show where they talk about how if people have no dreams they there's just mm-hmm. like the the sort of optimism and like willingness to like wake up each day just mm-hmm. sort of dies out because it's uh it's like Yeah, you don't yeah. have anything. Humanity yeah. just crumbles. So there's a, a there's a bunch of different characters in the show <laughs> who have very different perspectives on uh on the role of dreams. Is it needed? Uh there's one character who believes that all dreams are lies that people tell themselves even though they know it's not uh, like like Wow. It, uh, dreams are completely not achievable, but it's just the lies that they tell themselves. So he wanted to envision a world mm. without dreams entirely. And Yeah so and then you see like that's yeah bleak. it is it is it's a, it's a pretty intense show and the episode with him in it is probably one of the most uh difficult to watch so far uh huh. so i mean i i i think i really do need to see this show because i've read like i've read like a decent bit of the the graphic novel that it's based on and it's i mean it's super interesting you know it's it's uh i think it's from vertigo comics who they do like the entire mysticism part of dc comics um again bit of nerd lore for anyone who actually cares um but yeah i i i mean it's super interesting and the art style was just absolutely mesmerizing so i i really need to watch this show and like 
catch up with the graphic novel as well. That's so fascinating. This is really like a this is a pathetic way to take this conversation, but it came into my head so I'm going to say it. Yeah. It kind of like makes me pity like I know they're fictional characters, but it like gives me a whole new like appreciation slash, slash like pity I guess for um all the vampires in like the Twilight <laughs> series because they never slept. Oh my and god. And so not that you <laughs> See, I knew I told you I this is going this is going on a bad path. <laughs> so yeah but no i mean the, the funniest odd. part is that uh, if you were to watch even like the first 2 minutes or probably even just the poster for the show the main character uh, that like the, the sandman the god of dreams in mm-hmm. the sandman uh, tv show kind of looks like he could have been re- related to uh, the talon wow. vampire from twilight like he just looks so pale Amazing. and just i mean It's all the same story you guys. It's the same. Um I mean to be fair, the Sandman like like dream was based on um Robert Smith. No, sorry. What what's it? Yeah, Robert Smith from The Cure. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's based on uh Robert Smith from The Cure and uh Lucifer Morningstar from Marvel from like Marvel Comics and like Yeah, so he's based on David Bowie. <laughs> oh. which is again nerd love for anyone who cares um yeah the netflix series lucifer is based on the marvel ip who's based on david bowie bit of wow okay interesting but um you know like like when you said you know you felt pity for like twilight characters i kind of want to ask this because it's something i've been reading for my thesis why do you think we feel emotions for you know fictional characters fictional beings you know I think I don't know. I think it's because when we I mean when you when you say fiction, I'm going to refer to I think literature first because when you say that that's yeah, yeah, just yeah. where my mind goes generally. I think it's because um when you read, I feel like like the writer really paints a much larger picture of what's happening in a character's brain than you would ever pause to think about like an actual person in your life, right? Just because like you literally just don't have the time to mm. dissect their every action but when you're reading like you read i don't know very simply like an author would be like he felt this or she you know burst out crying because of whatever like there's all these private moments mental moments that you get an insight into and i think that's what builds that empathy because we have like such an explicit idea of what someone is thinking mentally and feeling that we don't have that insight into in our real lives because not everyone is that vocal and we also don't really have time for them to be that vocal cuz like you have to mm. live so that's pretty pragmatic honestly <laughs> the entire thing of just you know not having the time to like uh, the time space capabilities to really understand someone else's mental state yeah um, yeah or even articulate our own yeah oh yeah i mean yeah how many times have you know uh i don't i forget where i was going with that but um the 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 thing i was trying to make is um there's this really interesting book on so so i think i've spoken about this in like a previous episode it's a book i was reading called um the philosophy of horror by noel carroll um and mm-hmm. you know what he what he kind of aims to do in his book is you know break down what you know what horror media really is like Mm-hmm. what is the specific emotion that you know horror movies and horror games and books and all 
what do they try to like elicit from us you know what do they try to make us feel and why is it that when fictional characters are threatened by completely non-existent beings you know things that we know cannot exist why is it that when something like that happens even in the confines of a novel or a video game or a movie we feel um a certain level of like we feel horror and we feel some of the emotions of the characters in the media face you know um like like for an ex- you know as an example um i was i was rewatching this horror movie called um, the witch and it's 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 a genuinely phenomenal movie one because the soundtrack is incredibly innovative um they invented an entirely entirely new uh, instrument called like the nightmare machine or something and it's just like a broke the it's nightmare like a, machine yeah 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 so it's like a prepared that is terrifying it's like a prepared piano with like lots of long metal bits and like so it's used to create these incredibly eerie kind of soundscapes and like very very you know like it puts you on the edge you know like it, it yeah it's really good like super super interesting but more than that the the way the movie is shot and the way it's framed you as like as the audience you kind of get to know that okay there's there's like witchcraft and you know there's like all the, there's like otherworldly powers that do exist within the realm of this movie but the characters are completely unaware of that and it's just this constant anxiety that they have that these things exist that kind of keeps feeding into the paranoia that they feel and like it it, it creates this incredible tension and you know this like just just watching that movie again it made me like it made me think about you know okay why do we feel the same kind of anxiety that the characters feel even though we know that none of this is real and we know that witches and demons and so on exist in the world of the movie while the characters don't know that like we know a lot of things that they don't but we still mirror their yeah. responses do we feel that and i just found that if we uh, aren't you know at least momentarily uh, completely immersed in the fact that what we're seeing in the movie is real is it uh, like what i'm trying to say is do we only feel horror when we when we feel like what we're watching in the movie is a part of reality or can we still feel the same horror with when we completely know oh this is fake oh this is fake like if if you're not I mean, having again, that level that's... of uh, immersion i don't know no i mean again that's the thing with the witch right like you know that demons are fake that witches are fake like they, they don't really exist none of these powers none of these things can like really affect um our day to day life or anyone's day to day life for that matter right but it it's it's i i think suspension of disbelief doesn't really play as big a role for movies and books as it does for you know a theater setting mm. um where you know theaters are theaters kind of limited by the fact that it's live so it it has this incredible kind of balance between being fiction while still being a presentation of real people you know in front of a real audience and so on and it's done like on the spot right like people are performing the uh, things live whereas for movies it's recorded for books it's written and edited um in video games it goes through quality assurance testing and so on it goes through all these other layers 
which kind of removes the audience participation whereas you know theater you're still actively involved while the enti- while the events of the thing are happening so it's limited by that and the 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 kind of limits to the kind of props you can use on a stage what you know all together but movies have a bit more scope um so so yeah i don't know if suspension of disbelief really plays that bigger role in movies and in literature and you know other forms other than theater i think it's more i think it has something more to do with the fact that while we know these things are fake we kind of recognize or we kind of uh, pick up on why ca- these characters fear the things they do or feel like this kind of anxiety that they do um which spoiler alert is like the basic thing for my thesis that horror is just a form of anxiety and is not really dependent on fear per se or fear as it's like classically understood uh which is like interesting yeah yeah i was actually going to say that like because like your last line anyway i have a few thoughts i guess cuz <laughs> yeah go I on i mean Yeah, I I was I'm just trying to like articulate. I think so for me, I really dislike like the Annabelle exorcist omen type of horror. Oh, like, I, I agree. really just Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just can I think it's very jumpy. It's very like it just makes you jump is what I mean. Um yeah. and the, like very fearfully so, right? Yeah, um, exactly. But like for example, I loved Get Out. I loved Us. I mean, I clearly just love Jordan Peele, but I think like like I love the intelligence and the the mm. I guess there's like a story and there's a there's it's a, it's sinister but it's not like hor- like I, I don't know that I would classify it as a horror although I know that the world definitely does. And no. I guess like I guess one take maybe oh sorry you were going to say something. No 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 um I was going to say like I I think they do definitely do class as horror. Um because I think another super interesting aspect of horror that I was reading up about is that it very often reflects the cultural times you know the 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 media is produced in mm-hmm. so um so horror kind of comes from the gothic novel and couple of other um couple of other like regional versions of the gothic novel like the roman noir okay. from uh, france and something else from germany and yeah so there's all these localized regional um versions of gothic gothic you know gothic storytelling and gothic novels that right. then get adapted into horror as a response to the entire enlightenment period so around like 1700 to 1800 is when horror as a genre as a genre kind of evolved mm. um i guess that makes sense cuz like the witch burning and then that gets translated i don't know if that's something that you re- you read but i'm like just extrap like extrapolating right now so the 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 kind of um literary history i was reading was more as um, it it kind of uh, made the claim that horror evolved as a response to the enlightenment period where the enlightenment period kind of put rationality and logic and using science to kind of figure out the world mm-hmm. at as like a forefront virtue for mankind to kind of follow and embody and horror kind of pushed back at that saying hey you know but what about emotions yeah exactly like honestly Yeah. Exactly. So horror So basically thing, like thinking fast and slow but 300 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um yeah, so horror kind of aimed to study subjectivity whereas objectivity was like the goal of the enlightenment period. 
and even now like a lot of horror movies like like get out and us you know they they exemplify cultural fears like long like long standing deeply rooted cultural fears um yeah yeah so i think horror kind of always has this kind of um cultural commentary that it plays and even even the low grade kind of annabelle and bloomhouse horror flicks that we see even they are a form of cultural commentary in in an incredibly weird way about the yeah, fact yeah, that yeah. All, it's about it's about the fact that all our emotions can be easily commodified and broken down into like a formulaic you know response um eliciting thing like a response eliciting script you know like we know when we watch you know the conjuring 2 for example there are going to be jump scares at certain points of the movie and these can be predicted yeah, yeah you can literally tell exactly when they're going to do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, whereas like, that's why we have I mean, five was... scream movies or like 10 saws or whatever <laughs> they can just yeah 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 do essentially the same thing over and over again but i mean No, I mean that's yeah, that's Final Destination. Oh god, yeah. I mean, so those kinds of movies are what brought up my entire thought about hey, horror is not really dependent on fear, you know? It's kind of different because for me at least, like personally, a good horror movie makes you feel really unsettled and just kind of like it it is a form of like anxiety because it's this it's this pervading thing that something isn't right. Mm-hmm. and like something's kind of alien something's really foreign and like you don't you no longer feel sure of of the mm. world of the world of the movie of what the characters are going through of your world to some extent um i mean it doesn't need to be like literally thinking a vampire exists or whatever but it's more like i'm now a little more scared of the night because there could be other threats lurking in there and it's it's that uncertainty and like the the, the thinking of the possibility of threat that leads to this kind of horror so yeah like like i was making the claim that horror and fear are distinct but that's that's me claiming that horror and fear is like a survival response are distinct but there's another way to look at fear which is you know fear as this this um disposition as like an underlying anxiety fueled by the fact that there's like an uncertain number of possible threats that could attack you at any time and leave you vulnerable leave you weak leave you whatever so yeah i mean that's like to give like to, to give like a a super short synopsis of my thesis yeah i i don't know i i just wanted to ask actually cuz i agree with the whole like fear is a survival response i think also biologically i think we do have some like fear is possibly one of the oldest emotions yeah. cuz our amygdala is so wired to recognize it right and also fun fact we can segue into this in a little bit when we talk about psychopaths um, because the one emotion they cannot identify properly is fear yeah um but um i guess like but i guess speaking to your second point which is that like fear is like an unsettled thing because you're now unsure of what threats lurk isn't that also an evolutionary response cuz like like we have exp- ex- um i think the distinction is like exploration versus exploitation so you can either choose to venture into like hitherto unexplored paths or you can exploit the resources that you have or the environment that you're in right now because you don't know that you stand to gain anything or you might actually stand to lose 
things, including your life, if you mm. venture into the unexplored. So that isn't that also kind of like evolutionary? Well, it is. It is definitely so, in some form evolutionary. But I think the 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 big difference is that a lot of what we would a, a lot of the things that we count as you know objects of fear now, like you know, we fear stock market crashes. There's like. constant fear mongering about genetically modified foods and you know the 5G and coronavirus conspiracy theory um all of these things you know the symbolic threats that only arise because of how complicated and you know nuanced our cognitive and linguistic and cultural and sociopolitical resources are um mm. you know we 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 mediate the world through symbols So, so the world's no longer just objects to us. It's how we represent these, um, these objects, you know, in in like, um, in in our relationships with the world and how we interact with it, how we, you know, kind of, um, explore it as well. You know, language and these these symbols that we use are they kind of take primacy in our ontology. Um, to mm. to use technical terms. There's also another thing that yes. uh, uh, I'm. a bit still unclear on your take on and that's the connection right. between this anxiety driven like you know i i don't know how else to put it but the fear of the unknown uh that a, a lot of this horror feeling is based hmm. off of versus the, yeah. the the classic jump scare which is just sudden appearance of something that you weren't expecting which may not really be something that you're Really scared of it's more like just an immediate response, right? So I, I mean, again, that's I think yeah, a jump scare is literally just a survival response. It spikes your adrenaline. You prepare to escape from it. That's kind of where it begins and ends to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the jump scare doesn't really it it doesn't really accomplish any goals other than being an a like a hook, a narrative device like that kind of just grabs your attention for a few seconds. Yeah. and it can be used very effectively like there's tons of horror movies that do a really good job of effectively utilizing that narrative hook that a jump scare gives and like transitioning that into the the, the feeling of horror that I was talking about which is this this pervading anxiety about not knowing what's happening what you know how to categorize the 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 monsters that are like threatening the characters how to categorize the events at play how to like make sense of the powers that you know that kind of affect the world in the movie like so so for example um autopsy of jane doe is a pretty by the numbers horror movie when you look at the plot but it uses the jump scares in the movie super super effectively to set up this this thing of not knowing you know not knowing why the events of the movie are happening not knowing why you know these these things are bef- befalling the characters so yeah a jump scare can be it can be used effectively it can be used as a, a really powerful narrative hook but at the end of it it's literally just the survival response and like a scripted uh, a scripted survival response i'd say to a large extent like 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 me and aparna were talking about you can predict when jump scares are coming in a lot of in a lot of horror movies let's let's be very fair about yeah that. yeah it's also like if 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 you can't to some extent it's just like annoying and it's not really at all enjoyable yeah. to watch media like that but exactly, exactly also there's another thing that i read in relation to that which was that 
uh, we have like an innate nature to assume that uh, something unknown that you kind of expect is coming. Like let's say uh, you're walking around in the in the woods at night and you hear a sound. Uh, the assumption for most is that it's another person because there is some sort of in uh, like the the most dangerous thing. Uh, or the situation in that case would be that it's another person. So we just immediately assume that and prepare our body for it. Uh, I'm not sure how scientifically oh. true this is, but this is something that I read in a book recently. I just wanted to know if that's something that you agree with. I, I don't know. If I was alone in the jungle, I would assume it's like an animal. Right? That's like... What? I would never assume it's a person. Okay, maybe, like, maybe not I don't in know, the jungle, maybe but it's just that in a lot of situations, uh, the the thing that would likely cause the most fear, like most harm is another person, and which is why a lot of monsters wow. are humanoid whether it's like the yeti and the bigfoot or whatever and maybe the real monsters oh, that's us fascinating. All <laughs> but also that's a cynical thing like the thing that could cause the most harm is another i mean cynical but i guess true question mark i don't know i mean uh, i think i think it's also why um body double like doppelgangers have been like a huge staple in horror movies for like the longest time mm. You know, like invasion of the body snatchers and like all those, like like even Terminator Two. While it's a sci-fi movie, I think it has enough elements to class it as a pretty solid horror flick in its own right. Um, you have you have like the the advanced Terminator thing that can like shape shift, and you know transform itself into you know like it can transform its arms into like pointy like pikes. And it can cut through metal easily. It, it's way more powerful than we have any idea it could be, right? Uh, so it's a power beyond our comprehension. Something we can't understand with our current, you know, knowledge of things. And the entire movie is—it's in, inherently based on horror staples. You know, trying to escape a monster, trying to make sure it doesn't damage the world you live in. It doesn't like, like and like trying to make like trying to make sense of everything around you trying to like fit all these things into certain categories and you know in some ways the the advanced terminator model the T2000 or whatever it's called it fits a lot of categories for um, what a monster in a horror movie should be you know it, it, it's like That's... categorically interstitial blah 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 like lots of these super nuanced discussions that I really don't have the mental bandwidth to go into anymore. <laughs> I guess the final thing before moving on to wow. the next topic, so, uh, is there anything you want to add? To yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. Uh, go for it. Of, I mean, since you're doing your thesis on this, what's your favorite piece of horror media? Ooh. Ooh, yes. Ooh, favorite piece. That's okay. That's that's tough. Wait, so horror media, are we including everything? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, whatever yours is, yeah. Um, oh, shit. That's actually a really difficult question. Um, what comes to your mind, even if it's you, a couple of different I think yeah. I think the, the, the most immediate answer I'd give is the autopsy of Jane Doe. Just because it's, it's very formulaic. Like, you know the story beats you know everything that's going to happen in the movie and yet it leaves you unsettled 
it like it's a successful horror movie despite being very very formulaic just because it's shot really well the characters are built super interestingly and all the jump scares are so effectively used that they provide like they're just incredible narrative hooks and they keep you kind of hooked on like they they successfully build tension and like maintain the tension afterwards rather than you know in like just an immediate you know tension and then release when you realize oh it's just a jump scare here it's more like okay this thing happened it's startling and then it's like okay wait we we just don't know why it happened and it's like it's like uncategorizable and you know that that then keeps feeding into this this kind of anxiety that i was talking about so yeah wow interesting i mean i just looked it up as you were speaking and why is it rated as 6.8 out of 10 on imdb it's very hard to find a lot of classic horror movies rated much more than that cuz when when uh, they pop up like classically people kind of yeah, yeah yeah dismiss them i mean i oh, think i think that's always been a sorry uh, that's always been a shortcoming of science of science fiction and like comic books and horror i think and even video games i think to a large extent they're kind of viewed as just popular media and like you know not really worthy of deeper discussion and like deeper exploration but i mean i think there's a lot to uncover in any form of art like any any media whatsoever like even in twilight i'm sure there is definitely something to uncover though you'd have to do a lot of digging for it but there's something there <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely not going to invest more time. Oh no, 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 life, absolutely not. I will take your word word for it and no, assume there's something there. I mean, I think it's I just I just have a soft spot for a lot of like um I'd say underrated or underappreciated art forms. Like, I mean, you both know that I'm into metal and like I think I've spoken a lot about how much I'm into metal and it's very much the same thing. A lot of people view metal as just loud noise and, you know, kind of write it off despite the fact that no, there's No, but there's definitely an art to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like something you know, there. Something something so, like in connection to the fact that it's just like loud noise, right? So I was talking to my friend about how loud it is to just live in India. You know, like something like 65 of the top 100 noisiest cities to live in are in South Asia. And I was just saying yeah. that wow. brought me to listen to <laughs> absolute noise and still appreciate it as music, just because you step outside and you're just going to have to deal with your life while like seventeen <laughs> cars start honking at you while there's a bird tweeting <laughs> and a, at a dog barking <laughs> and like people screaming at each other across the street, and then you're just like you, yeah. you you open up Spotify and you play some some avant-garde jazz and you're like, ah, that's more rhythmic. Huh. <laughs> Actually. I remember because I used to live in Singapore, and I remember one time I think the like we landed in Singapore and we were driving home, and my first comment, and I was like in third grade or something at this point, I was like, "Wow, it's so quiet," and I realized it's because people just were not like honking away. That like <laughs> one thing was enough to like, I don't know. I guess like clearly demonstrate how quiet it was and the stark difference. Yeah, I think I think it's. I mean I'd say it's similar here but instead of honking we just have ambulances driving by every 5 minutes so I guess they make up for the sound pollution. Oh no. Do you live near a hospital? Oh uh, yeah 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 we live near a couple of hospitals okay. yeah. That that's why. Okay. <laughs> I mean it's okay, also Okay I was like or there's just like a high percentage of 
oh no there's there's also that there's also that but (laughs) we live near a hospital so i'd like to believe that silent moment of prayer for everyone i generally feel like chennai sometimes feels so loud that if there was an ambulance going out outside i wouldn't notice it because there's so many other noises yeah unless you're on the same road with it like it doesn't really stand out I mean, even Honestly, then, the road's so you're, crowded. Yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna like be yeah. able to make space for them. Yeah, like too many times I've seen an ambulance honk to be like, "Hey, can you move?" And, it, like, and it's I like, "Dude, I can't." There's three buses in front of me, and yeah. two scooties just constantly trying to cut any gap possible. Like, how do I drive? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But that's crazy. Sixty-five of the top hundred are in South Asia. That's that's insane. It's, like, it's all. Uh, it's like Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, India, like something like that. Like I, I just saw this. I'm like, this wow. Is so just like the top three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, though, I kind of, I kind of understand it because, um, I mean. While while India is like a gigantic country and we have a huge GDP, we are still technically a developing nation, and a mm, a yeah, large yeah, yeah. a large proportion of like the population doesn't really have access to like the newest cars with like the best kind of sound deadening technology, etc. They run old cars that are loud, and there's a lot of diesel motors for trucks and like transportation. trains are still very much well not all trains but a bunch of them are still fuel uh, powered like yeah there's there's, yeah. there's tons of issues like that which will take so much time to like resolve and there's also just base infrastructure thing right like uh, in a lot of other yeah. places uh, let's say there's a highway that runs through the city they're going to build those soundproofing like walls type of uh, mm-hmm. barricades to the sides of the road so it doesn't affect yeah. uh, residents who live nearby it's that sort of like urban infrastructure care for reducing noise pollution that can also go a really long way in you know making things a bit more livable yeah yeah uh, but uh, i mean don't we we do have like policy wise like there are i think rules i don't know how they compare honestly to other countries i would be interested to know but i i know you know that there are like noise barriers that are mandated and stuff like that so interesting that are there? i mean i guess I yeah 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 that. like in bombay yeah definitely i know that in mumbai it's a, it's the case but huh. yeah i only started I, i don't think i ever noticed it in mumbai <laughs> huh. yeah oh that's true you yeah. live there yeah. <laughs> i guess it makes no difference <laughs> Oh, well, I only we started go. looking into this because they've been digging up the roads in preparation for the monsoon season to build uh, drainage and uh, all around where I'm living, and uh, uh, let alone like safety precautions. Like, uh, like the thing that stood out while I sit inside the house and try to set up to record is the fact that at any point they could just start taking a jackhammer and start going away all at it, and it's so noisy. Right, and The thing is, they usually work through the night when there's uh, minimal traffic, and so yeah, yeah. Even though you're not supposed to, like that's actually illegal. You're not supposed to be like public work beyond like what is it time? Six p.m. Six p.m. or seven p.m. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Actually, I don't know. I'm intrigued by this. I I remember reading a study a while ago that talked about how people who um 
like if you live in an area that is prone to like higher like environmental pollution like you have a higher number of pollutants in the air and things like that mm-hmm. you actually you're more likely to perform worse on like an IQ test or like you know any kind of intellectual test and you you perform better when you're not in that location which i guess like like tracks obviously right it makes in- yeah. sense intuitively but it's an interesting study but i wonder if that also extends to like noise pollution um i imagine it should simply because the interference <laughs> yeah. mentally yeah, is like <laughs> yeah 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 i was yeah, just going to yeah. say like there's there's i think there there are quite a few studies that show um a link between increased stress levels and loud noises and it it, mm. it also just tracks from our previous thing about jump scares you know they're often they're often accompanied True. by super super annoying like audio cues and you just you know when you hear that that violin yeah. like anyone who's watched horror movies will know the violin sound i'm talking about it's that it's that like like on edge yeah. thing and then it ends with like a huge impact or like a shriek or something and it's just like okay i know great you successfully made me jump a little yeah Woo-hoo. it's also why i think they say like if you watch a horror movie on mute like it takes away so much of the effect right yeah. i know, i've done it before and it definitely does you're like oh this is fine There's nothing <laughs> yeah yeah like this is kind of funny it's almost Did a comedy you watch a quiet place Um, I didn't. I've been no. meaning Almost to. Almost like watching a, a, watching a horror movie on mute, except like w- once every fifteen minutes you'll hear something, and that will absolutely freak the shit out of you. Ah! Uh, wow. Because the entire point is that they're trying to stay as silent so they don't get taken away by mm. the monsters, right? And yeah. So if the the slightest ruffle of papers, like I, I watch in the theater, that everyone in the audience starts like. refusing to eat popcorn they're just like standing there like sitting oh, there in wow. silence it was kind of incredible oh, that's good yeah that's amazing it's the inverse but again it's still still the same it's like because everything is so silent that in that context anything is like yeah. jumpy yeah 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 so fascinating but i have been yeah there's also that. one thing that i sort of noticed when prana was talking about the difference between uh like theater plays and uh you know watching movies or playing games uh, in mm. the level of immersion right we've been mm-hmm. sort of like overall i think there's been a move towards things that are, like you know the distance between you and the media uh physically and metaphorically is like getting less and less uh, the media is meant to become more and more immersive like uh, like say going from mm. books to theater to movies uh and then now right. going forward into probably vr media where VR, it's kind of like yeah. you've completely uh, muted out your physical surroundings as well as sound and all of that and you're immersed in that world i'm i'm just mm-hmm. extremely fascinated by what horror media in in like complete immersive media is and also why we seek such level of immersion in 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 entertainment well i mean so for one thing if you want like a really cool experience about what horror would be like in a vr environment um outlast i think has a vr uh, version like a virtual yeah a vr uh, ready version and outlast is a phenomenal horror game because it does the exact job that it's supposed to 
all jump scares are narrative hooks that further like enhance the uneasiness of being in like an abandoned asylum as a journalist who has no ways to defend himself beyond like a very limited push and you have a flashlight and a recorder and that's it like that's all the equipment you have is in the game is that the game where you, don't you get manage else. the battery life of your flashlight and recorder and it keeps yeah yeah yeah, yeah and like yeah 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 and like you kind of sneak around and hope you don't get caught by um the inhabitants of the asylum and yeah like outlast in vr i've seen i've seen a few ple- people play it i sadly cannot because i do not have a vr headset um <laughs> but yeah i've seen some people play it and it looks and like they seem to be like genuinely like horrified while playing it like like they're anxious like every small thing kind of puts them on edge they're looking around it's really cool um wow interesting uh what was the second part of your question I... why do we seek that oh um so i i i i don't know actually i think it's soup it, it there's like a lot of studies on why we seek horror and mm-hmm. i don't know i think i think for me it's just the um, I I mean speaking personally I just really like the the thing of not understanding. I mean I guess you know tracks I'm a philosopher. So like, you know I I I don't understand half the stuff I read but I have to like keep trying right. So um yeah. I think personally for me horror kind of reflects um or or, or um you know ah how do i articulate this it's actually so difficult but horror reflects a super super interesting place where you know something's not real and at the same time you don't know how to classify it in your ontology it's super liminal it's like it's like in between multiple things and you don't know how to clearly define it because like, and, and a lot of horror is also like not like it's not acceptable right socially like no, stabbing absolutely someone not. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that's also I think part of the stimulation as well. I guess like you get to explore aspects yeah. of your darkness that you actually just cannot and should not be right. exploring. Right. Right, right, right. I mean, it's a reason it's a reason why um despite having a terrible rap, death metal is, you know, it it's so kind of interesting to me because mm. it explores like incredibly taboo topics, you know, um I don't want to say any of them out loud because uh <laughs> I don't want people to get turned off to my to what's probably my favorite genre of music but it explores a family lot of family friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> as family friendly kind of. as uh, an episode that's about horror now uh can be. But but like it explores taboo topics, um body horror, you know, atrocities committed, you know, in human history and so on. Like it explores so many ultra violent and just like not spoken about topics and yet like it's it's i think one of the one of the genres of music that has you know very little violence from the artists themselves like i honestly haven't heard that much controversy from many death metal bands because the entire point is the entire point is it's just an outlet for them to kind of imagine and be like hey what if you thought about this and it 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 unsettles you because you're like wait but you shouldn't be thinking about these things you shouldn't be trying to explore these things in any form and it's, it's like a little like, bit of voyeurism 
yeah 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 it 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 is a little bit of voyeuristic pleasure like you know re like you know going through the lyrics and just kind of listening to it and everything and, and the music complements it it's equally taboo equally brutal it plays with um, it plays with concepts that just aren't acceptable in classical music studies um you know um discordance and you know just being not harmonic in, like, in the traditional the things sense that don't feel correct yeah yeah exactly dissonance and so on like it's super super interesting there's a lot of great textural work and yeah yeah i don't know this is just becoming a plug for metal <laughs> i think just... I... yeah we have five minute section every episode on this at this point but uh, yeah so the reason yeah. i was asking <laughs> that was because i feel like the it's becoming harder and harder to to keep that uh distance between you and the media of being like oh i know this is not real uh as hmm. the 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 delivery mechanisms for media evolve because uh, right. we're just starting uh, to the point where virtual reality is becoming more uh adopted and you're right. already getting into uh, like say games or movies where you're kind of completely in the the pov of the main characters right mm-hmm. and even at that point i feel like yeah. a lot of people are going to find it a lot harder to to tell themselves that hey this, this is. is just a movie or hey this is just a game uh and not mm. have it affect them i don't want to say permanent but yeah mm. i actually i guess i'm wondering cuz i i mean i agree i think that it's kind of scary i guess i'm wondering like Do you think that's going to make people like want to experience it more or do you think that's actually going to put people off because of how immersive it is especially when it comes to something like horror? I think it depends. Like I think I I genuinely be down for a VR horror experience but that's you know because I enjoy horror. But like how often, I, you know? Uh not 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 too often. I don't think my heart could take <laughs> it every week. <laughs> but but I think I don't know. I think it's it, it's an interesting place cuz uh whether it gets accepted or not the more immersive and the more kind of um close for lack of a better word the closer we are to the media that we consume both as you said metaphorically and in in literal distance um i think the more scope horror has to actually commentate and criticize that kind of cultural shift because that is kind of what horror media seems to be doing it's like a counterculture movement that commentates on these big adoptions these big paradigms that keep going on um you know uh get out in 2016 right yeah mm. get out in 2016 was about xenophobia and racism and as we kind of know through history america at that time was going through quite a quite a big uh, this thing of far right nationalism and you know kind of almost I mean, over still is still is, <laughs> still is. Uh, but it was it was like super pronounced back then with um yeah. pretty much overt xenophobia yeah yeah um you know similarly frankenstein is a very clear warning or response to the enlightenment period like hey don't play around with yeah. the law don't experiment with these things don't try and like mess with it because you could you don't could try cre- and play god yeah. yeah 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 you could create something that you really don't want to um and that thing could be alive it could have a thing a, a mind of its own Um but Frankenstein was also about more th- I mean it was also about like like the th- the creation was also Yeah you know, yeah yeah um 
there was like a lot more like oh be empathetic even if you don't fully understand like that was definitely the undertone as well so yeah absolutely i i'm just talking about like big like cultural response right. kind of things mm. right um there's also i think ex machina that came out in 2015 which is very much like a response to cultural fears about you know ai taking over or you know sentient um ai um yes that's me so i i we've yes huh? that's me different different type of ai different type of artificial intelligence my boy yeah but actually yeah arvind what do you think like would you i like be into watching all of this the more immersive it gets or would you be put uh, off i'm already to be honest not a big consumer of uh, horror i haven't really ever played okay. horror yeah. games i've watched like enough horror movies to count on one hand So it's just like that's not something that I've ever it's not that I I I, I don't know I just I just never really got it. Uh and mm. yeah to be like I don't think I'll be the first one to queue up for a horror completely immersive experience. But I'm just like a bit more worried about that blurring the lines between uh the 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 piece of entertainment or the media and reality and what lasting effects that could have on the way we perceive reality because uh right it's it, it, because the sort of stuff that i'm seeing in like tech demos for uh uh human computer interaction and vr right now is really like like very realistic looking it's not the cartoony uh facebook metaverse image of vr uh it's about mm-hmm. combining haptics and uh all these different mechanisms where it's and also like scanning people in 3D and bringing them into into virtual environments and doing a lot of these things which make you really get a lot more immersed to the point where that's where i i feel like there needs to be a little bit more focus on uh keeping, keeping that, that distance. distance to a certain extent because Yeah, mm. I, I just yeah. feel like it's it's very weird to me at this point. I think yeah. yeah, I think it's at a stage where it's really difficult to commentate on how we'd manage distance between, you know, us and media. Um I think on the one hand because we are constantly being advertised to and constantly being like thrust, you know, like media is just constantly being put in our faces like hey, watch this. Hey, th- you know you like this so we're recommending this and like just the the constant you know algorithmic generation of new things to watch like new media to like consume so on the one hand there's that there's that like real world difficulty in maintaining distance oh god i just said the worst but at like, the same time you just said the algorithmic generation of new media that just like oh god <laughs> i mean yeah Uh, I guess so actually the reason I ended up bringing up I think the 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 like the question of like would you enjoy it if you were to do it or not is mm-hmm. like I guess I was thinking about like what could the negative effects be right like say we extrapolate it and say like we like actually like yeah like I mean, say it, it actually could, happens it say you walk cause, into a movie it could cause me to have like an anxiety disorder or like a panic attack or like develop like very severe um and debilitating or or dysfunctional kind of mechanisms in order to Yeah, pre- yeah. That's that's definitely that's definitely um a worry, right? 
but that but I, wo- I that, think that worry is kind of always been there with horror media exactly just, that that's exactly what i'm saying like i think that that exists even today right yeah. like there you do have warnings where they're like hey if you have you know a heart disorder or if you have yeah. like anxiety issues like don't watch these cuz it's really not good for you right and so i feel like the risk for immersive things becoming more um like distorting your sense of reality increases with the frequency of times you immerse yourself in that world yeah and right and i think to in order to immerse yourself in that world i think you have to have a like a natural predilection to enjoy horror at that scale at a very high like like you have to have a really high like capacity for that kind of consumption and i think and i do like i think this is true definitely like science wise that people who have lower empathy in general um are already the kinds of people who generally tend to enjoy that kind of like uh, who who have a high like stomach for like extreme horror what so it's kind of say I, about me not you i'm saying because <laughs> i did say like extreme you know i mean say yeah, what yeah, you yeah. were i don't know like question for the world i guess does pranam have empathy <laughs> That's mm. that should be the name of this episode. Oh yeah. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think that's actually a pretty solid name. <laughs> like I do a poll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I guess like I was just wondering like would it end up becoming like a self-reinforcing cycle? Like the people who have low empathy watch these films and are like super immersed in this reality and that leads to like lower em- like do you know what I mean? Like a vicious right, cycle right, almost. Right. Like to be completely oh, that's terrifying. The, the horror isn't just watching horror media. It's just continuous use of extremely realistic media uh like like whether it's vr or whatever the next iteration of this kind of thing is mm-hmm. it's the fact that horror now might need to only have an epilepsy warning or hey this might uh like maybe like content warnings or trigger warnings or whatever but like yeah it's not just a social thing but you really don't need that for something like dracula or whatever from a couple hundred years ago right it's like we've already got to media that's so much more scary, scary. and immersive like if if we are continue yeah. at I, the I think, same sort of trajectory like how hmm. how wild can it get but i think it's also the concepts explored in dracula were appropriate for the age it was in right Like, like, but no. What I mean is, the the, was, at it, that point, there was no way to build something that's as, uh, yeah, you know, enough, like yeah. gripping in term. Like, you can have like a really good storyteller tell a, a super scary story around a bonfire, but there's just something about combination of showing it, a uh, visual and like sound and just the environment of sitting in a mm. theater. Yeah, everything coming home, together. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like now they'd have to add like if you have VR, you know, um movies like you have to add a warning being like hey, just remember that this is not happening to you. Like yeah, like that's a, a warning you would have to have. Yeah, which this is, is a like, simulated experience simultaneously yeah. going against what they want to do and making it immersive and also I, like have yeah. feedback but like right now I've not heard of anyone really intentionally try to get people out of the experience. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. I think honestly VR and augmented reality and stuff could be a really really inter- interesting space for horror to get into. Um I I'm not sure what they do. 
or how they'd kind of like go about structuring stories and you know narratives and like developing things developing like monsters or powers to like be the objects of horror but i think it'll be fascinating and you know i'm down for a good horror vr experience whenever yeah and another uh, thing that i'm fascinated i will not <laughs> join you <laughs> another thing that i'm fascinated that i i wonder if it will uh, like actually be a real point of concern is uh let's say you're using vr and the the sort of like like your virtual arm length is like a meter long or maybe let, let's just say it's a bit longer than your actual arm length so when you like hold your controllers and you try to pick up objects around you it's not exactly the sort of distance that your real body would have and would that right. mess with your hand eye coordination if you were to just take off the headset and then start picking things up if you were to use it the way we use smartphones now i think so i think i think there oh. is um, i think there is a level of um, what is it disorientation that people feel when they take off their vr yeah. headsets just cuz like especially especially like streamers who kind of populate vr chat and you know other virtual reality like chat rooms and you know lobbies um when when they kind of end their streams you can see there's like a bit of dis- like disorientation because they're so used to being in like this virtual avatar and like in uh, interacting with things in virtual space that they've gotten used to the proportions of the body there and then when they move back into when they snap back to reality as um, oh that goes as the great philosopher marshall mathers would say um you know when that happens it, it it takes them a bit of time to get acclimated again and like realize okay yeah wait um my hand is this length and not the length it was in the virtual world i mean it's only a couple of minutes usually where it's like just weird um but i think it, it i think it'll be the same kind of thing as you know um to use another example our living room has blue lights alongside like yellow and white um and every night the boys decide to turn the entire house blue just by switching only those lights on and it takes all of us a good like 5 minutes to get used to like regular light again cuz you know the the color blue kind of just has it, it's kind of right in, like your itself. retinas are accustomed there's exactly. yeah yeah so similarly like your body just gets used to it and to like interacting stuff in interacting with stuff in like a virtual setting and then when you step out of it It, it takes a bit of time i think for those for those kind of um not ingrained but those kind of learned movements to like reacclimate to a real setting kind of thing is this yeah, like a couple of minutes I, of adjustment I, yeah i guess i like that you use learned movements cuz the one, only thing i was going to say to that is i still feel like there are some things that are so basic that i don't know you can rewire just by vr like anything that i guess is based on some kind of sensory perception that then leads to a movement is i guess like game for like i guess intervention through mm-hmm. vr like you can adjust for that but i think some things are too too innate like yeah to be influenced by it yeah 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 definitely so it's again like you get into vr you learn you know the the proportions of your um of your you know the model that you're using And then when you step yeah. out of it it takes like a couple of minutes or like couple of seconds to like 
get used to the fact that oh i have a real body and i'm actually moving and i have to i have to use the proportions of my actual body and not this virtual model that i was inhabiting for like this for like the past with like arms of two meters and yeah 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 yeah. exactly yeah interesting but it's almost like that's like a Uh, thing that i kind of just don't want to experiment and then find out Hmm. oh yeah like how would you go back (laughs) it would there is no going back like it's like okay i mean i guess that's why that's why there's uh there's a philosopher here i'm willing to be a guinea pig for all this (laughs) i'm happy to be a test subject you can do a thought experiment i feel like that's that's fine (laughs) yeah if i get if i get lost in vr that's another essay i can write (laughs) wow uh truly truly philosopher i guess um I am not willing to take any such risk. Well, I mean, I maybe think, I'm just generally risk averse. One of the coolest, but... one of the coolest things I read about philosophy, in fact, um, was during the during the thesis kind of reading that I was doing, which is um, horror and philosophy both kind of try and do the same thing, which is examining like the limits of human comprehension about the world around us. And I, I just thought that was so cool when I read it. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this is this is very much what we seek to do. Holy hell! I am now cool. <laughs> I'm actually cool <laughs> as hell. Are you are you cool or scary? Now I'm confused. <laughs> um, I, I'm like I'm like that really cool hip monster, you know, the guy you'd invite to parties but kind of stay away from at night. You know, you're like he's cool. But like you a... keep it a distance. Yeah, like you yeah, can have yeah. your own booth. <laughs> yeah, you're a, you're just like an acquaintance. Like... You're like an acquaintance. You know, yeah. you'll call him to a party, but you know, you won't like spend all your time mingling with you know him. You'd be like, eh. Or any time <laughs> mingling, maybe just give you yeah. like a podium and a mic and be like, have at it. We will have listen. at it. We are going away. <laughs> That's kind of the show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just be just going <laughs> on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, I've stolen Dumb Dive. Uh, um, should we start wrapping up then? It's been an, uh, over an hour of yeah. recording. That's, yeah, I was just going to say, like, what's the time, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I think that's as good a point as any to end on um, with me confabulating to be empty air around me. So I'm Pranav. I'm Arvind. And we're really happy to have you, Pranav. I like, hope you'll come back, uh, come back again. Yeah. yeah. Come back and, soon. Uh, yes. I mean, yes. Yes. I hope so too. This was fun. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks um, for listening, guys. Yeah, and you know, as as usual, um, contact us by email on Twitter, on Instagram, um, email at dumbdive. Uh, what is it? Dumbdive at gmail dot com. Uh, Twitter at dumbdive and Instagram. Love at that you had dumb to check podcast. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, just absolute brain fry. You know. But yeah, all good, all good. That's been the podcast. Thanks for listening.